When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Carl Storer here, lead boxing writer of Fightful.com, FightfulBoxing.com. It's, we're here. We're two days away from the WBC heavyweight title fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Make sure to give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to our new Fightful MMA and boxing channel where we have the Fightful MMA podcast. James Lynch did a terrific job doing the Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz post-fight podcast, which you can see on FightfulMMA.com. And on the uh, the Fightful Pro Wrestling YouTube channel, but make sure to hit subscribe and hit a, give us a thumbs up for the new MMA and YouTube channel. Um, we're going to be doing the boxing podcast here, the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury post fight show, which is going to be so far just myself. It's going to be here, so make sure to to subscribe to get an alert for that. If you all have any questions that you want me to answer throughout the show, whether it be on Wilder versus Fury, Manny Pacquiao, Triple G, possibly to the zone, anything boxing related, make sure to hit, um, give us a comment on the live chat going on right now. So right now it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic time in boxing. We're at the end of the year. It's December, the new PBC on Fox deal kicks in with the December 22 show in Brooklyn. We have this really, really interesting heavyweight fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. You can read all about my thoughts and everything surrounding the fight and the card itself on the new Fightful Boxing newsletter, which is live right now on Fightful.com and FightfulBoxing.com. So let's get right down, right down to it. Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury for the WBC heavyweight title. This is an interesting fight. I mean, we're, we're if we're talking just about the in-ring stuff, this is a very, very unique style of cla- clashes of styles. And really, it's Tyson Fury is going to be fighting in his first title fight since the Vladimir Klitschko shot, uh, upset in 2015. Deontay Wilder is, you know... I, I, it would be hard. You'd be hard pressed to find a better knockout artist in boxing today. There, there are a few where you can make the argument that they're the best knockout puncher in the sport. But Deontay Wilder, on a lot of people, they, they're certainly on that list. But listen, this is the big fight that Deontay Wilder has been asking for for years and years and years. I mean, the fights that he's had, the the, the Luis Ortiz, the Bermain Stavernes, the Gerald Washingtons, and Chris Ariola—they're not—they're they, not terrible fights, but they're not the type of fights that you look at Wilder. As I maybe the Luis Ortiz fight from back in March, they're not the kind of fights where you look at Deont- uh, at Wilder and say that's the type of performance where. We can really see that Wilder is not just the best heavyweight in the world, but he's also the biggest boxing star in America. At least the biggest American-born star, because the biggest star in America in boxing and really globally is Canelo Alvarez. But I'm talking more born in the United States. 
So this really, this fight really all came about because Wilder was not able to get the fight against Anthony Joshua. Tyson Fury is the biggest name out there at heavyweight. And quite frankly, you know, Fury's not getting the Anthony Joshua fight. And really it was, you know, a set of circumstances where Wilder didn't get the Fury, the Joshua fight. Fury not only had to battle back from depression, from drug addiction, and even from the British Boxing Board of Control and the UKAD in regards to his drug suspension and his suspended license. And he eventually persevered on all fronts, got the comeback fights against Sefer Safari and Francesco Pianera, and immediately got inserted into the heavyweight title picture, which... I don't want to say he doesn't deserve it because he's undefeated. He's still only, he's only 30 years old and he's a huge, huge name. And before, before all his troubles kind of surfaced, Tyson Fury was the best heavyweight in the world. There was no question about that. But when people, and I've been seeing this a lot on social media and those of you watching, you can comment below on what your thoughts on Fury's chances of beating Wilder are. But when I look at a lot of people claiming that Fury is the definitive favorite, Fury's the true undefeated world heavyweight champion. He never lost his titles because he was stripped he or vacated them. And quite frankly, and there is a point to, to the argument that Fury should still be considered the best heavyweight boxer in the world. But it's been three years since he beat Vladimir Klitschko. He was out of the ring for two and a half years. He he ballooned all the way up to 350 plus pounds. He was out of shape. He was battling depression. He was battling his drug addictions. He was battling all sorts of demons out there. And Fury looked to be out of the sport for good. But credit to him. He managed to not only lose all that weight and looking looking at pictures of him from the press conference yesterday and his training, he body wise he looks terrific compared to how he was about a year ago or a little more than a year ago. So I give a lot of credit to Fury for being able to put in the work to actually look the way he does because he does look phenomenal, maybe in the best shape of his career, but. When you're looking at Fury of 2018, it's really hard to determine whether or not the Tyson Fury that we see right now can beat Deontay Wilder. And it's not because he can't beat Deontay Wilder or is coming into this as a heavy underdog. No, he's actually, it's almost a, a pick at this point. Wilder's only a, a very, very, very slight favorite. I don't remember the exact odds right now. Um, and Wild and Fury in that same breath, he's only a, a just small favorite. I think it's not even, I don't think it went past plus 200 or minus 200 as far as betting odds go. And looking at the betting odds here for, from Patty Power, if I can just find a sec. Yeah. Right now, Deontay Wilder is, you know, eight fifth, eight to 15 favorite. That's almost. You know, that's not even a two to one favorite. And, and Fury is, you know, eight to five. So that's not all, that's also not my uh, plus 200. So you're looking at, at this fight and 
the odds makers believe this is a very close fight. And to an extent, I do agree. But you look at Fury and you look at those two fights against Sefer Seferi and the fight against Francesco Pianetta. It's I really I personally can't look at those fights and being able to use them as arguments that Tyson Fury is going to be Deontay Wilder. And and I don't mean any disrespect to Safari and Pianetta, but those are not the type of guys where Fury can be challenged and be given a chance to showcase his talents as he is right now. You look at those two fights, and quite frankly, they were glorified exhibition bouts, especially the Safari fight, which... I still think to this day that that fight should not count on his pro record. It really shouldn't. It was it, it was a farce. It was a circus. Tyson Fury and Safari and everyone in attendance and involved with the fight were treating it as a circus. But that's not the humor there. Thing is, you have to go all the way back to 2015 to see why uh, see Tyson Fury in a big time fight like the one we're having on Saturday night. And while Fury looked very, very impressive, and he deserved the victory against Vladimir Klitschko, it's really hard to make an argument on Fury based on three-year-old tape. It's hard to make an argument for anyone winning a f- fight against someone like Deontay Wilder on three-year-old tape. It's damn near impossible. So... When we look at Tyson Fury, the fighter that he is right now, let, let's really take a look at Tyson Fury right now. He's six foot nine, but he sure as hell moves like he's six foot three, six foot two. His mobility is fantastic. He's a very, very smart puncher. Forget about what he's, what you may think of an off the ring and all that kind of stuff. He's a very, very smart fighter, and he's certainly someone that can make things difficult for Deontay Wilder. And I remember I saw the Lee Wiley on, on Twitter, who I highly recommend you check out. He's a brilliant mind in boxing. You, he, he mentioned that it would take something of a Muhammad Ali type of performance against George Foreman. And for those of you who don't remember that fight, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Rumble into Jungle. Muhammad Ali, you, you even just look at highlights. Muhammad Ali knew that George Foreman was the dangerous power puncher at the time, just like Deontay Wilder is. And so there was one weakness in Foreman's game, and really in Wilder's game as well, where you see where when the fight becomes close quarters and you're relying on working the body, and you're trying to make it a physical, scrappy fight. And there's no space between the two fighters. That's when it really starts to get difficult for Deontay Wilder. And that's what happened when George Foreman fought Ali. Ali made it very, very difficult for Foreman to use his arms and extend and extend all the way to really get those power punches in on Ali. And Ali would just come in and close the distance those distance between between Ali and Foreman and you look and and, and you see Foreman kind of making these weird like 
like wide open punches and they don't reach Ali. And when you look at Foreman on that fight, you kind of start to see some similarities with Deontay Wilder. He's an excellent power puncher. I think his instincts and fundamentals are vastly underrated, but let's not kid ourselves. Deontay Wilder is not the best fighter or even to an extent an above average fighter fighting at close distance. Meanwhile, Tyson Fury is the type of guy that can sort of maneuver his way in to to fight Fear, uh, Wilder up close and really make things difficult for him. And so just by using that strategy, I can totally see Fury winning this fight. No problem whatsoever. But the issue is, how do you do that for 12 rounds against Deontay Wilder? We kind of saw Luis Ortiz have some success with Wilder early on in the fight. But the thing we have to remember about Wilder is that he is the type of guy where you give him even just one chance to take control of the fight with his power. He will take it and he will hurt you. And so we've seen Fury kind of take rounds to just cruise and not really make things difficult for his opponent. We see him in time and time again kind of lose his focus. But let's all remember that was before all the depression, the drugs and all that kind of stuff. And he's really in the, in the last three years, he's really had to sort of overcome those inner demons. So it's entirely possible that his mental fortitude has vastly improved since the Vladimir Klitschko fight. And if it really does, I can totally see Fury having a really, really good chance at beating Deontay Wilder. But again, the question is not whether or not Deontay Wilder can knock Tyson Fury out. It's whether or not Tyson Fury has the stamina and the body to sustain the type of game plan to hold Fury Wilder back and absorb whatever power punches he'll throw for 36 minutes. And whether or not Fury can have the mental fortitude, and that's where his trainer, Ben Davison, and to an extent his corner man, uh, or I think he's going to be a cut man for this fight, uh, Freddie Roach, is going to come in. Ben Davison is not, is not known to be a trainer. He was one of Fury's friends pre, you know, pre comeback. And he helped them here and there with the Tyson, with preparation and in training camp. And the two had really good chemistry. But Ben Davidson has not been a real trainer to a real fighter for these types of fights. This is his first time in such an environment, in such a situation. So it's going to rely on Ben Davidson and Freddie Rowe to somehow keep Fury focused for all 12 rounds. And I think if he, they do that, I think it, 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 we could see Fury pull off the upset, which I still, still think it's an upset. I don't think it's a major upset, but I think it's a small upset. Now, the question with this becomes, is the winner going to be considered the best heavyweight in the world? That really depends. Now, if, Wild, if Fury beats Wilder, I think Fury is the best heavyweight in the world. He's a guy who Fury hasn't fought in, hasn't had a serious fight in three years. He's still in his physical prime. He's 30 years old and he 
coming back with having two really weak tune-up fights and just come out and beat the best knockout heavyweight uh, knockout puncher at heavyweight in the middle of his prime. I think that alone, that, that should prove that Fury is the best heavyweight in the world if he can beat Wilder. Now, if Wilder beats Fury, and it's a very close fight, depending on how Fury does, I don't see, I'm not sure if I would envision Wilder winning and being considered the best heavyweight in the world. But if Wilder comes out and dominates Tyson Fury in four, five, six rounds and just knocks him out without any problem, I probably would consider him the best heavyweight in the world. But in reality, that's there's still going to be the ongoing debate between the winner of this fight and Anthony Joshua. Now, whether or not that fight's going to happen, in, the winner of this fight versus Joshua is happening in, at Wembley in April 2019, that still really remains to be seen. But I, I don't know. I have no idea at, at this point. You know, I thought that we were going to get this fight this year. Some part of me thought we were going to get this fight in 2019, but I'm not even sure about that. So it really all depends on what happens December 1 and what kind of offer Eddie Hearn gives to Wilder if Wilder ends up victorious. If Fury wins, you you can kiss a Fury-Joshua fight goodbye or a Wilder-Joshua fight goodbye, at least for a very, very long time. Because if I recall, there is a rematch clause in the contract. So if Fury wins, I can pretty much guarantee that Wilder is going to take that rematch and we'll, we'll have a rematch between the two, which depending if the two fights, depending, depending on how the fight goes, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I would not mind Fury versus Wilder too, if it does come to happen, depending on, on how good the first fight happens. So that's going to headline a Showtime pay-per-view and the rest of the undercard, quite frankly, doesn't look that good, or at least not as good as, the Gennady Golovkin Canelo Alvarez rematch pay per view card from a couple of months ago. The undercard is, let's see, co main event is Jared Hur, who is the WBA and IBF junior middleweight champion, going up against uh, a bridge fighter named Jason Wellborn. It's Hur's first fight since undergoing surgery from, I believe, back in May or in April. This is really more of a tune up fight. I, I hate to, I hate to you know, really call world title fights on pay-per-view to not fight, but it essentially is because the real focus for PBC is to get Jared Hurd ready, you know, kick off the ring rust, make sure the shoulder is, is all healed up for the Jermel Charlo fight in, I say spring 2019, summer 2018, which is going to be a really good fight. I'm really looking forward to Charlo versus Jared Hurd in 2019. I think that's going to be a, a really, really good fight. Uh, St- Stone Osborne in the chat is saying, is asking, why does Joshua have a reputation as a fight dodger? I don't know if, I, I think that's really more from critics who really, really wanted to see Joshua versus Wilder. I don't know if I really can say that he's, that he's a fight dodger. I mean, he, listen, he got the fight against Vladimir Klitschko in 2017 when we still didn't know if Joshua was really ready to take the spotlight and grab, you know, and get the torch being passed on to him for the biggest heavyweight star in the world. And he passed that test with flying colors. He came out and beat uh, Alexander Povetkin in his last fight, which is no small feat. And, and I still argue time and time again, Alexander Povetkin is a top five heavyweight no matter what. And Joshua did a remarkable job when he fought Povetkin. 
But uh, listen, and that's really the cynicism in boxing today, where if boxers, uh, boxers are just constantly calling each other out on social media. And that creates an expectation that, hey, if these two are calling each other, that means they want to fight. But in reality, that's almost never the case. It's not, you know, not, I, I wish every fight, every call out was like Vasily Lomachenko, Guillermo Rigando, where they just spent months calling each other on social media. And they eventually did have a, a fight, even though it's a bad fight, even though Lomachenko just decimated Ring and Doe, they at least went forward with the fight instead of spending months and even years jawing at each other on social media. Now, I don't know. Joshua, again, let's remember, right before the Vladimir Klitschko fight, he was still, you know, a contender. He was, even though he's, he was the IBF champion at the time, it was still the heavyweight division was still a free for all. So you know the the real elite heavyweights was not getting was not getting the the chances to fight each other. I know some people will will come out and say why didn't Anthony Joshua fight Luis Ortiz? And that's a really valid point because the idea is that Matchroom Boxing brought Luis Ortiz in with the expectations that Ortiz and Joshua would fight. That fight never happened, which I thought would have been a fantastic fight, in my opinion. We saw how good jo- uh, Wilder versus Ortiz was. Imagine how Joshua versus Ortiz would be if it ever happened. So I, I don't want to say the allegations that Joshua dodges fights are completely baseless. Because if you look at it from their point of view, I suppose there is some merit to it, but... Really, the, the business of boxing is so incredibly convoluted and so complicated, it's really hard to see. It's, it's really hard to get, the big, get those big fights time in and time out. It's the shame that it's that way, but it really is. So now looking, going back to the, to the pay-per-view card, uh, Jared Herbert, Jason Wellborn, Jared Herbert's going to win this fight, I think, fairly easily. Luis Ortiz, speaking of him, he he's going to be fighting Travis Kaufman in a stay busy heavyweight fight while he's potentially waiting for another title shot in 2019. Really, Ortiz, this guy I think is going to be the same way as his last fight against Rafael Kohanu. Real quick fight. Ortiz is going to do- dominate the fight and knock him out. And then the last fight is, I guess, technically the opening fight. I, I don't remember. I don't know if Ortiz's fight is going to be the opening fight or if Joe Joyce's fight is going to be the open the pay-per-view opener. But Joe Joyce is fighting Joe Adams. Uh, Joe Joyce is this, you know, hot British prospect from um, coming into the United States. He's another one of those British heavyweights where a lot of people, you know, Starting, saw him and in the amateurs and believe he has the potentials to be a star. Kind of took a different route to some of the other British heavyweights that we've seen in recent years, like the Derek Chisoras or Anthony Joshua's, Dillian White, Tyson Fury's, and uh, David White's, and and all those other guys. He is he's moved. He went to the U.S. He's training under Abel Sanchez. He's being promoted by Richard Schaefer and, you know, who works with PBC. And I think it's a really smart move by Joe Joyce's part because Joe is Joe's going to get attention in the in the UK, regardless of where he fights. But even with the zone, even with Showtime and PBC getting us the occasional British fights into the United States and ESPN and ESPN Plus, 
doing a, a good job of bringing in British boxing carts in the stateside. You, the best way is to uh, the best way to expose yourself to the American market if you're a British fighter is to fight in the United States. And the plan is for him to just keep growing. I don't think he's going to be a contender in 2019, maybe not even 2020, but in in a couple of years, if all goes well. Who's to say Joe Joyce wouldn't be the next British cont- uh, British heavyweight contender? And, you know, there's Joe Joyce is a really fun fighter, but he's still growing. He's still learning the ropes in the paid ranks. So we'll, we'll see. And that's really it for the pay-per-view card. There is going to be a Showtime telecast right before the pay-per-view, kind of previewing the fight and everything. And there's going to be a WBC light heavyweight title fight between Adonis Stevenson and Alexander Vostick. And we're quite frankly... This is a really, really fun fight, and it's a shame no one has really talked about this fight. Adonis Stevenson has been, I believe he is, boxing's longest reigning champion right now. He's held the WBC light heavyweight title for years, and really, this is a fun... Adonis Stevenson, if you saw in his last fight against Badu Jack, that was a really competitive fight. I kind of thought it was a draw. I thought both fighters won six rounds apiece. So the fight ending in a majority draw, I have no problem with that because I also scored it 114-114. He'll be facing Alexander Vostick. And if you saw him in his last fight against, um, on ESPN, I I believe Mehdi Amar, and he looked good. Vostick dominated the fight. He won the interim WBC title. At Madison Square Garden, which is a really, really good way to expose yourself. ESPN at MSG and a very impressive performance. But Vostick has not really faced the likes of Adonis Stevenson. And you can say, you can make all the comments you want, you know, about Adonis Stevenson ducking the best fighters in the division. I think those comments have far more substance than Joshua being one that ducks fights. But again, that's neither here nor there. Adonis Stevenson is still considered by many to be the best light heavyweight in the world until someone takes him out. And Badu Jack almost did that back in May. We still, until Stevenson gets, gets taken out of that throne. I, a lot of people will still consider it as the best fighter in the division. And I believe and it's funny. I, I saw that Vostick is being considered a slight favorite, which is actually kind of odd because I don't think Vostick is necessarily a better fighter than Badu Jack. And Badu Jack managed at best to have a really even competitive 50-50 fight against Adonis Stevenson. So I don't know if Vostick now is the guy to beat Adonis Stevenson. It's possible that Vostick is a really, really talented fighter. And he's a guy that can really make things uncomfortable for you in the ring. And if we've seen anything from Adonis Stevenson, especially in the last fight, it's that we haven't quite, you know, Stevenson, if he's not being the aggressor in this fight, then he's a guy where you can pressure him on the inside and really make the fight physical and really make the fight difficult for him. Adonis Stevenson doesn't really have much of an answer. And again, he is plus uh, 40 plus years old. And he can definitely, and, and listen, for as great as he looks time in and time out, Father Time is undefeated. And maybe the Badu Jack shows some chinks in the armor that is Adonis Stevenson. So we don't know whether or not 
Adonis is going to look his age this time out. And I think that's really kind of what people are expecting now. Adonis Stevenson is the best light heavyweight in the world. Until we finally see him lose. And now every time we see him step into the ring, we really won't know what type of Adonis Stevenson is the, uh, we'll see. Is it the Adonis Stevenson from, you know, that we've seen for the past six years, seven years, eight years? Or is it going to be the 41-year-old fighter who really got tested in his last fight out, and now people are starting to think that his time as the WBC champion is over. That's a really big time. Sunday is going to be a really big night in boxing, and PBC. For as much as we like to, uh, people like to criticize PBC for you know for not time for not giving the best fights time in and time out. With this new Fox deal and this new Showtime deal, they are really, really stepping up their game. And they're giving us Mandy Pacquiao versus Adrian Broner on January 19, 2019. I don't know if this fight is a, is a pay-per-view fight. First of all, I don't think it is. I guess you can maybe make the argument it's Manny Pacquiao. It's his return to the United States. And it's his return to... Fighting a real big name, and regard, and I don't care what you say about Adrian Broner that he's not that good. He's overrated. He's the the worst four division champion in history. It doesn't matter what it, it just doesn't really matter what you think. He is a big name. He's still a big draw in the United States. You get, all you have to do is look at the attendance numbers for whenever he fights. Look at the viewership numbers. He gives Showtime whenever he fights. He's still routinely one of the top draws time in and time out. Now, his in-ring skills are a completely different story, but he's still someone that can make things difficult. And Manny Pacquiao, he didn't look really good against Lucas Matisse. But just like with Adonis Stevenson, Pacquiao is up there in age. And listen, for the last few fights, we've kind of seen an inconsistent Pacquiao. He looked good against Jeff Horn, but if this was Manny Pacquiao eight years ago, he would have knocked Jeff Horn out around the seventh, eighth round, no problem. Then he comes out and, like, and knocks out Lucas Matisse. But before the Horn fight, he just goes to distance and Jesse Vargas in, in a fight that a lot of people thought, this, this is a fight where Pacquiao should have knocked Jesse Vargas out. No disrespect to him. He, is the, he was a world champion at the time, but quite frankly, you're looking at Pacquiao and you just can't be sure of what type of performance he's going to give. And I know Pacquiao is motivated and he'll say he, he wants the Mayweather rematch. I, I, don't, I don't want it. A lot of people really don't want it. But regardless, it's going to be the 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 fight. And I, I just don't know. Pacquiao could, Pacquiao could still win. I haven't seen the... Oops. The ooh, one of my credentials fell out. Um, I, I don't know if Pacquiao's gonna win. This is a really tough fight. It's a really fun fight. I think it'll be a decent little scrap. I don't think it's one that's gonna be worth $60, $70, but I think it'll be a fun little scrap. Whether or not Pacquiao wins and we get Mayweather Pacquiao too, I have no idea. So I, I don't think it's really worth entertaining the idea because you really have no idea what to expect out of Pacquiao. Uh, TJ Bexford. As Broner won't win, you know, that's certainly possible. How do you see Jeff Horn versus Anthony Mundine going? Mundane looks bigger than Horn. Man, 
it's funny. This is, I don't. This is a really, really big fight in Australia, and Jeff Horn. That this fight, I believe, is taking place. I'm looking at. I think it's scheduled. That fight scheduled to start in about 14 hours. Both made weight. I did see that they both made weight, and Mundane does look bigger. And this is a. And, this is a really, really fun grudge match. I don't know if I'll be able to watch it live, especially here in Puerto Rico, because Puerto Rico doesn't get ESPN Plus. I don't know why, but it just we just don't. So I will try to find a way to find the fight. But I don't know. M- Mundane, he has looked good in some on some of his last fights. And I will not take that away from it. And listen, when it comes to Anthony Mundane. I don't know if I ever want to openly admit, uh, openly say I don't see him winning because the dude is intense guys, very aggressive guys had a very successful boxing career and his story, his career, athletic career to uh, more specifically is, that's actually a very interesting one. And with Jeff Horn, I don't know. I, I, I think from the very beginning, we saw Jeff Horn when he beat Manny Pacquiao. Or I guess, quote unquote, he beat Manny Pacquiao. He was given the decision. I remember here in the States, and, it was con- and we constantly talked to some of the other welterweight champions, to, the Keith, Thur- to Keith Thurman, to Errol Spence, and some of those PBC welterweights. And I remember they would always laugh, and they would constantly belittle Jeff Horn at every opportunity they get when his name is brought up. And we saw Jeff Horn is be completely outmatched by Terrence Crawford. And there was no way Jeff Horn was going to win this fight. And I, re- and I was reading a headline or uh, reading an article saying that Jeff Horn wants a rematch with Terrence Crawford in Australia. To which I say, I don't know what the hell they're selling in Australia to give you the impression, to put you in the state of mind that you can get a Terrence Crawford rematch after that, the way that first fight transpired. Doesn't matter if it's an Australian. Doesn't matter if it's a big money fight in Australia. It's not going to happen. I don't know. I think we saw what Jeff Horn really was. Uh, his skills were really like when he fought Terence Crawford, and with Anthony Mundane, it's possible that fight. It's possible Mundane can win that fight. I haven't looked at the odds of that fight. So if anyone can tell me real quickly the odds of Jeff Horn versus Anthony Mundane, I really appreciate it. But gut check, I'd say Anthony. I think he wins. I I don't know if Jeff Horn. Listen, he was never that great to begin with. He was a guy that, you know, I'll I'll give him credit. He did try his best against Manny Pacquiao. But prior to that, he was not. He didn't deserve the Manny Pacquiao fight. He was still being looked as an up-and-coming fringe contender rising prospect who just was just gifted a shot at Manny Pacquiao simply for the fact that holding the fight in Australia would be absolute humongous business, would provide amazing ratings on ESPN. Everything about the fight was commercial success, no doubt about it, but Jeff Horn, when he when he won the title, no one took him seriously. He was being treated a, as a paper champion, and he looked like one when he fought Terrence Crawford. No offense, and it's really tough to see how a Jeff Horn looks. I actually think Jeff Horn, even though Jeff Horn might look a bit smaller compared to Anthony, I don't know if 
I, I think Horn will feel more comfortable because let's all remember at 147, he looked massive. He looked massive. I, I personally thought he looked like a junior middleweight. I got, I kind of only made a, a joke that Saddam Ali at the time was the 154 pound world champion by the WBO. And Jeff Horn was the 147 pound of the world champion by the WBO. And I thought they looked like they they should switch titles because Horn looked more like a junior middleweight than Saddam Ali was a natural welterweight. So Horn, he needs this win. If he doesn't get this win, I don't know if he real if he'll get these types of fights being lined up for him in the next few years. So this is in. Horn needs this win more than Anthony Monet. Anthony's career is all set in stone. That goes without saying. Horn's the younger fighter. Horn's the one with a lot to prove still after that Terrence Crawford loss. So we'll see how that fights. I will try to see if I can find a way to watch that fight, whether with or without ESPN Plus, though, because I'm very interested. I don't know if I'll be willing to wake up at 6:30 Eastern, but I think that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting fight. So. Speaking of ESPN, they are in the middle of converse, uh, conversations as well as the zone and getting Gennady Golovkin to join the respective networks. And from what I've heard from sources is that the zone, their plan is to lock Golovkin up for two, three fights so that they can have the rights to have Canelo versus Triple G3, which if it happens, it won't happen until... September 2019. I don't think it's not going to be. It's not going to be for Cinco de Mayo. I would really think that I would really think that they will wait a while before we get Canel versus Triple G three. I mean, if it if they do it for Cinco de Mayo, I, I I'd be very surprised if they do it that soon, because I would think Canel Alvarez. And Golden Boy would probably want to wait until Golovkin looks uh, gets a little older, even if it's just by a few months, so that Canelo Alvarez can maximize his odds of winning. That's what I said on the Pulse Fight podcast with Sean Rossap a few months ago regarding a third fight between the two. I, I said then, I don't think it's going to happen for, for a good while, not until at least for another year, because Canelo is content with the two fights. If a third fight does happen, all right, it happens, but... They 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 really want to get they really want to get that fight. Uh the zone, I, I mean. They really want to get that fight. And the zone does provide bigger upside in terms of fights because the zone has Demetrius Andrade, who has the WBO title. They have Canel Alvarez, who owns the WBC and WBA title, and they have Daniel Jacobs, who's the IBF champion. He's not signed with the zone, but he's signed with Matchroom Boxing and his HBO contract expires, so you put two and two together, and Golovkin is heading to the. Um, I mean, Jacobs is probably heading to the zone. Uh, TJ Black uh, Bexford in the chat say Triple G should move up and wait. I, I would not mind it if Golovkin is willing to move up and wait. Then I can see ESPN having a better shot because they have ESPN does have. Gilberto Ramirez, who is the WBO champion, 168 pounds. But I don't know if Gilberto Ramirez alone is going to be enough. Especially if if Golovkin is willing to move up and wait, then you kind of then you still really have better fights at with the zone. 
because they not only have Rocky Fielding, they have Callum Smith as well. They got Arthur Berterbiev, uh fighting as... Oh, and my mistake, Arthur Berterbiev is uh, at lightweight. But, but basically, you have... Yeah, Matchroom Boxing has the better fighters at super middleweight. Has more fighters for Triple G to fight with at, at super middleweight. Uh, I don't know if Golovkin wouldn't necessarily look small at 168 pounds. I think it would still look really, really good. And if you move him at 168, you can make a strong case that outside of maybe Callum Smith and Jose Uskategi, that Triple G has the best, uh, is a top three super middleweight as he is right now. So I don't. Th- I think he's going to look good. I think he's capable of winning a couple of titles there. But I think Mi- Golovkin is dead set on fighting at middleweight. And it all boils down to if he wants the bigger payday, even though the zone has the bu- the insane budget has, ESPN is investing so much resources into top rank and boxing right now. They will pay out the wazoo to get Triple G. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. But so if the idea is Golovkin wants to close out his career and with the highest payday, with the biggest exposure possible, then it's ESPN. If Triple G still wants to become the undisputed middleweight champion, then it's the zone because the zone essentially has all four major world titles and always and comes down to and Golovkin will can get a rematch against Dan Jacobs. Demetrius Andrade, I'm pretty sure he would be up for a triple G fight. So that really all depends. I expect Golovkin to make his decision in a couple of weeks. I don't think we're going to hear anything official until I say mid-January, late January 2019, because I think I still think it's going to be a long and drawn out negotiation between Golovkin and whoever he ultimately chooses. But if you ask me, I think he's going to go to the zone on a two to three deal, a two to three fight deal. First fight one of the other middleweight champions not named Canelo, either Jacobs or Andrade, and then hope to see to get that third fight against Gennady, uh, against Canelo Alvarez. So that's really all what I think on the whole Triple G situation. Uh, Priscilla Baez in the live chat said, always comes down to the money. Yeah, you know, for a lot of fighters, for almost every fighter, that, that really is the case. And the zone, and hey, that's not to say the zone is not going to offer money to to get another Golovkin, they haven't. If we see anything from the Golden Boy deal, the Canelo contract, the Matrim deal, they have more than enough money to give Gennady Golovkin. But ESPN is more desperate. They don't have that big star at at that kind of weight, while the Zone does. So ESPN has more to lose by by not signing Gennady Golovkin than the Zone. The zone already has Canelo. They already have the big star. They also got Anthony Joshua, who is a big attraction for the hardcore fans in the U.S. who want to see Anthony Joshua fight. So really, again, ESPN is going to be the more desperate one, but I think ultimately, knowing Gennady Golovkin, I think he's going to opt in for the better fights, which the zone currently has. And I don't want to end this podcast without talking real quickly on the whole situation with the AIBA, the International Boxing Association, which is the uh, top governing body for amateur boxing. So, and you can read this more on the newsletter. So basically, long story short, 
For the past couple of years, the AIBA has had a lot of controversies from financial mismanagement to corruption within its roots, and which has extended itself into the officiating in some of these global tournaments, including the last Olympics, where if you all, re- if you remember for, do- or for those of you that don't know, uh, Michael Conlon, who is a top featherweight prospect for top rank, he was essentially screwed out of a fight and a potential medal in the Olympics because of uh, bad officiating, which a lot of people almost unanimously are saying that that was corrupt judging. And so what happened was their previous president, CK Wu, is out. He was found to be financial, financially hurting. The AIBA funds has been going out, going out left and right. There's been so many reports of the of the AIBA owing multi-million dollar debts to multiple companies. And so what happened was, so Wu is out and ultimately the last, the throughout the year, they've been trying to get a precedent, a new president that would lead AIBA into a new direction and hopefully find a way to sort of weed out the corruption from the AIBA, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Well, the problem is they have not been able to do so throughout the year. And earlier this year, earlier in the spring, the International Olympic Committee was saying, you need to give us something. You need to make, uh, give us concrete proof that you're making, you're taking serious steps to making sure this type of stuff doesn't happen again. If you don't do that, we are going, we are not, we're not just saying that we're threatening with taking out boxing out of the 2020 Olympics, which are in Tokyo. And, it real in by that point, the AIBA got desperate, and they were trying so hard to find the guy to lead them into the future, and hopefully convince the IOC to keep boxing for 2020. So, fast forward to earlier this month in November, and we get an election to crown the new president, and it was between Serik uh, Konakbayev and. Gafor Rakimov, uh, Rakimov, who is an Uzbek, uh, a businessman from Uzbekistan, and quite frankly, a lot of people, the U.S. Treasury has come out and said Rakimov is a guy heavily involved in the global heroin trade and involved with all these illegal organizations. And the IOC kind of caught wind of that and said, don't elect Rakimov as your new president. Do not do that or else you really are testing our patience and really are putting us in a position to take out boxing out of the Olympics. So what happened is Rakimov was elected as new president, almost a two to one vote, 86 to 48 majority vote. There were a few a few uh, organizations that did not vote Rocky, uh, that did not vote at all. They had, and what happened was Rocky Mov is the new president. So now they're scrambling. So now the AIBA is scrambling to find a way to convince the IOC to not only convince the IOC that Rocky Mov is someone that the U.S. Treasury is wrong. That he's not, that he's innocent of all the allegations put against him, that they are making serious steps to making sure that this becomes a reality, that 
boxing is uh, is improving on the many many problems that it has, and they're taking serious steps to make sure that the sport doesn't have to deal with corruption and bad officiating and money money laundering and finance and financially hurt the sport. The next meeting, I believe, is supposed to schedule start tomorrow in Tokyo for, between the IOC and and where they will decide on a number of topics, possibly also on the future. I think I don't know if this next meeting starting tomorrow in Tokyo is going to be the meeting that's going to decide whether or not boxing will be in the 2020 Olympics or not. But at the very least, I would expect them to at least put a very, very hard deadline for early next year to decide on whether or not for, for a final decision on whether or not boxing gets to stay or not. And I don't think I need to explain to you why it's so important for boxing to remain in the Olympics. And I'm not just talking about the grand old tradition of boxing being one of the original modern Olympic sports. And it's been a part of boxing throughout Almost every single Olympics, except for I think it was the 1916 Olympics. I think, yeah, maybe it was the 1916 Olympics or 1912 Olympics, where I believe it was in Sweden or somewhere in Europe where they had the where boxing was outlawed, so they couldn't have the Olympics there. But outside of that, Boxing has been a part of the Olympics every single time in, and we've seen so many great boxers come from the Olympics and become world champions, and their and their stardom is a result of their performances in the Olympics. Hell, with the way women's boxing has been has been doing, has been on the up and up, it was partly because of the Olympics. If it wasn't for women's boxing being in the Olympics, we would not have. Clarissa Shields being the women's boxing star that she is. We wouldn't have all these talented female boxers come out and have a meteoric rise through the pro ranks and start to become household names among the hardcore fans. We wouldn't have that. Well, we had so many great champions on the male side, you know, do so well because of the Olympics and the exposure that they've got. And the next Olympics are in Tokyo. And the Japanese also rely heavily on great amateur fighters to sort of catapult their next generation of stars, especially when you're talking about 130 pounds and below, which is a primarily Asian type of uh, division. When Once you go to super featherweight and below, most of the time Asians dominate and, J- and the Japanese fighters are, are the ones that excel the most. So if you don't have the Olympics, you're not getting those fighters the kind of exposure and experience of fighting fellow other top amateurs and getting themselves prepped up for the pros. It makes them, it gives them a harder road to get to the top and get the big fights because it was because it was the idea that these guys are immediately going to jump into the pros. Without any Olympic experience, it it sounds kind of bizarre, and it's really not one where people are going to latch on to. But if you have the Olympics and these guys do well, then when you get them to the pros, they're going to do really well because they've already had that prior experience. They've already had that prior global exposure. 
And Priscilla Bias was saying 1912 indeed. And yes, it was because when, okay. So I was a little confused. I did not remember off the top of my head. It was 1912 or 1916, but yes, it was 1912. So again, this is a really, really difficult time for amateur boxing. It does fight. If it does rule out that amateur boxing is in grave, grave danger. And the next Olympics will not have the sport. That's going to sincerely hurt the sport on a grassroots level. And it's going to have a profound impact that's going to last for years and years, especially with women's boxing, because they, they are finally making a real comeback. The Olympics, they already have plans to integrate more women's boxing divisions in these Olympics. They would have more female fighters uh, than any other Olympics. And if you take out boxing, that seriously hurts the growth of women's boxing, especially in the United States. When you have, you know, the next generation of Clarissa Shields just waiting to become major stars. So I really, really hope that they do find a way to get to do this, uh, to keep boxing Olympics, despite what's happened in years and uh, with the whole uh, Rocky Moff situation. I really didn't want him to be elected, in my personal opinion, especially because not because he's not the best man for the job. I quite frankly don't know, but mainly because the AIBA is really testing the patience of the IOC. The AIBA has pretty much not done a single thing that would give the IOC assurance that boxing, amateur boxing is improving on the officiating side, on the financial side, on the overall level of corruption side and making sure that's not a part of the sport. And listen, I love boxing. A lot of people that are watching love boxing, but this this sport has a history of being one of the most one of being one of the dirtiest, most corrupt sports out there. And I can I, I can dedicate Many, 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 many hours to explaining just a few examples of bo- corruption in boxing, but we'll see. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the FIFA Boxing Podcast. Give us a thumbs up. Leave a comment below. Give us your thoughts on Wilder versus Fury. Who do you think is going to win? Should the winner of this fight be considered the best heavyweight in the world? I'll be doing a post-fight podcast live on youtube and on fightful.com immediately after the fight is done so make sure to tune into that and get and again support fightful.com if i go to fightfulmma.com fightfulwrestling.com fightfulboxing.com support our youtube channel fightful pro wrestling and fightful mma and boxing carl store of fightfulmma.com fightfulboxing.com fightful.com from the new fightful mma and boxing youtube channel We're out and hope you have a beautiful weekend and enjoy the fights.